Okay, gentlemen, the show belongs to you. Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another episode of Glass Half Sports. And we got a, a, a big week, maybe the biggest week of the calendar year in sports to cover with you this week. I am one half of your hosting duties, as always, Nick Huffman, joined by the budding social media star himself, who is now finding his way to other podcasts in Mike Mensing. How you doing, pal? I'm, I'm doing well, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was fun. Actually, I did a, a podcast for a complete athlete, a training business that actually rent space out to me and Very we nice. have a good relationship there so yeah they were nice enough to invite me on and just talk training young athletes absolutely so if you are watching the show and you have like kids or you're an athlete yourself head on over to a complete athlete and you know take in kind of what what, what mike has to say i know he's got a lot of a lot of kids that he's working with that are finding a lot of success um how have you been and what do we got for the week uh coming or the show coming up here today mike uh, i've been well it's nice to actually kind of thaw out and go above zero t-shirts uh, uh, we do have a big show for you guys today obviously with super bowl week we're going to talk super bowl storylines yes sir uh, we do have to talk minnesota sports roundup and we do have our guest uh, nash walker joining us once again yes sir it's always a, a great guest friend of the show uh we have a sean payton segment to uh, talk uh, about i just want to talk about Sean Payton's interview. Uh, we have some NBA headlines with the trade deadline looming and then fight news as well to cap off the show. Lots of fight news, lots of things popping off in the fight world, whether that be boxing, UFC, or otherwise. Mike, where can they find Glass Half Sports these days? Yeah, as always, guys, you, we can be found post-show on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, YouTube. We do have a Patreon as well. Um, we do have a Twitch. We have our name basically reserved on Twitch. Yeah. If you guys would like to see any of that content, just let us know. We exist. We're just not active. Like a like a bear in hibernation. Oh, we're just waiting for for the need. Yeah, for the demand. A little bit of demand. We got plenty of supply. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um. So yeah, let's uh let's kick. Right. Oh, and then did you touch on uh, where they can find us in the Twin Cities? Yeah. Oh, in the Twin Cities, you can catch us on cable on MCN six Saturday evenings at ten p.m. Uh, if you're not in the Twin Cities area, you can actually access that through your Roku app, MCN six. Not just not in the Twin Cities area, but like anywhere all over the globe. Like correct international international show big things going on over here um so let's kick right into it uh we can get to the vikings right before we uh talk about nash walker who will be joining us here at about 11 45 so stick around for that we'll do a little bit of twins talk here um but let's yeah let's start with the vikings um two things really that are important that came out over the last week let's start with the most important one vikings go ahead and actually hire brian flores we got it right from the jump high five this show knew it we called it that's who we wanted we got him mike your initial thoughts on the brian flores hire uh, like you said, it is who we wanted. Yes. Um, our defense is going to look vastly different next year. We're, we are mm-hmm. going to s- stick in the 3-4, so yep. personnel-wise, we still need to do some cleaning up there. Yeah. Um, however, we went from basically a bend-don't-break defense to we're going to force you to break defense. I'm going to get you. <laughs> yeah. Um, when Brian Flores was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, there was one specific game where they ran the same blitz 37 times yeah. in one game. The same blitz, mm-hmm. 37 times in one game. Uh, you know that they're coming with pressure. It's going to look vastly different than Ed Donatel's defense. Yes. Um, the one thing that comes with creating pressure is you do give up big plays as well. Yeah. So it's just going to be interesting to see how they balance that act. Um, I mean, we already give up the most big plays in the NFL, right? Exactly. So, so I'm just curious if we're going to continue to <laughs> continue with that trend and it's just going to look a little bit different or if we're actually going to put a lid on it. Um, but it's interesting that we basically went from one extreme to the other. Yeah. And we'll see how that how that works. I mean, that's kind of what we saw with the Zimmer to KOC it was. hire. It was a very so similar move. Ed Donatel to Brian Flores. A couple of personnel things that I'm sure everybody's going to be wondering with Brian Flores in-house. 
Um, I think this saves Harrison Smith from the chopping block. I would agree. I think he's going to play in the box quite a bit more now. Yeah, Brian Flores had the highest safety pass rusher rate uh, throughout the course of whatever time frame he had play calling duties for defenses between when he started and now. Um, So you're probably going to see a lot of Harrison Smith play that more like that sub linebacker, that downhill pass rusher role, which is good. Cam Brynum and Lewisine probably play your two high safety in certain situations. You'll see a little more three safety sets next year. I also think that this might save both Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter with the way that he likes to pass rush. Um, And instead of like maybe keeping Jordan Hicks or Aaron Kendricks, I think those are the two guys that are maybe a little bit more apt to be moved at this point Um, with him being really good at identifying linebacker talent through the draft. Everywhere he has gone, he has drafted quality 3-4 linebackers. Um, you know, you think of some of the guys that the Patriots had. You think of the, the Dolphins linebacking core right now. That was dra- drafted by uh, Flores. How well the, the Steelers played last year as him as the linebackers coach and being a part of a lot of those decisions. So I think there's a little bit of that might be one of the tipping points. And then it's all about figuring out the defensive secondary. Um, but I think this is a move in the right direction. I'm going to give plus 10 points to both KOC and Quasi for this move, right? Um, it is, for, from a GM standpoint, you're taking in kind of a radioactive coach. There hasn't been a lot of steam around him or for him since all of the things went down with the Dolphins, right? The two allegations that were out, being played to, paid to lose, all of that stuff, as a GM, it's not easy to bring that media circus or what could come out of that into your organization, but it was necessary, so they went and got him. And for KOC, who is a young, somewhat still unproven head coach without a playoff win, to bring in a guy who's got Super Bowl rings, you know, in New England, who's got success in Miami, who was well spoken about in 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 Pittsburgh. Not that he's necessarily a direct threat to KOC's job, but it definitely isn't easy to have another head coach in your, you know, inside your staff managing Wes Phillips and. Ed Donatel and these guys that have never gotten a shot is far different than somebody who players can look at and go, well, I know he's run this potentially better than you have. I mean, let's not forget, though, Ed Donatel was a head coach. Mike Pettin was also a head coach as well. Uh, KOC has surrounded himself with elite minds from the jump. Yes. Um, I'd like this move. I think the biggest takeaway from it is that we went from one extreme to the other as far as what our pass rush is going to look like. Yeah. Um, But are we still going to give up the big play? And like you said, the defensive secondary is what needs to be, be rehauled. Yeah. Uh, when you blitz that much, you play man. Yeah, a lot. Defensive secondary needs to be unlocked. Yeah. And that is not what we currently have in the locker room. No, not at all. Um, not even from the type of guys that we have right now. Um, I mean, that's not actually true. I've seen stats all season long that the Vikings have one of the longest secondaries in the NFL with guys like Cam Dantzler, a Caleb Evans, et cetera, et cetera, and just no press coverage. Right. So there's an there's an easy fix there. I know Gabe wanted me to get to kind of the breakdown on why Brian Flores was so radioactive. Uh, do you know? I mean, have, did you follow that thing all the way through, Mike, on, on pretty much what happened in Miami? Yeah. It's a really interesting scenario. You know, he leaves uh, New England for Miami and they're pretty much in the tank for Tua mode while he's there. He doesn't necessarily want to be losing ball games. They fire him for losing ball games, and he come out, comes out and pretty much says, hey, they paid me to lose, which, interestingly enough, from Miami's perspective, right, you now have to look at the last 18 months for the Miami Dolphins and go, okay, they paid Brian Flores to lose football games, they tampered with Tom Brady and Sean Payton, and they potentially overlooked the concussion protocol with Tua. 
and nobody is calling for the leader, the head of the leadership of the Miami Dolphins. That's concerning to me when you start to lump this string of like negative actions together. Um, out, you know, so he gets fired. He 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 pretty much files this lawsuit, which makes him radioactive as a coach. Even though he was up for the 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 New York Giants job, pretty much it was him and Brian Dayball. And all of these things are supposed to be, you know, pretty well kept hush hush until the agents and the teams make a statement. But Bill Belichick sends a text message to the wrong Brian, sends it to Flores instead of Dable, congratulating him on getting the job. And it kind of just compounds the issue that he was feeling in Miami to begin with. And another, you know, more allegations, more it's it is definitely difficult. It would be difficult for me to bring him in because I know when this case it's aired when a conclusion is made on it. People are going to ask questions, and that could come in the middle of a playoff run. I think he's just a bystander, though. It's it. It could have happened to anybody. I don't think it's his fault that Miami is dysfunctional. No, I also no, don't no. think Bill Belichick accidentally sent that. Text. I don't either. Bill Belichick doesn't do anything on accident. Folks. Uh, yeah. I mean, the other news for the Vikings is that Dalvin Cook wants more money basically not necessarily more money but he says he doesn't deserve to take a pay cut and this right here with with dalvin and some of the we talked about it some of the veterans on this team that are left over from the mike zimmer regime have a certain attitude that we're gonna have to flip at some point dalvin is a great player but he's not worth 14.6 million dollars coming into next year i'm sorry and for you to openly go to the media in the middle of an offseason where the Vikings have so many questions and kind of plant your flag in, pay me or I'm not going to play, that's the wrong attitude to have. I had to cut him the following day. Yeah, I mean, I I think he's not an integral piece of how the offense is going to move not forward. Not anymore. Um, I think you can do a lot of similar things with who you have in-house, and I think this was pretty much him saying, I'm done playing here. Yeah, uh, so that's going to be interesting. I know there's obviously going to be trade conversations, I would assume, around the draft. I don't think we're going to get anything before that. Go Dalvin for Saquon straight up. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And have to pay Saquon the same year you're going to have to pay Justin Jefferson. I don't know if I completely agree with that, but Mike's over here playing Madden Madden Fantasy Football, franchise mode. Um, But yeah, the Dalvin thing is concerning for me because, especially with how tight-knit that group is, Dalvin Cook, Harrison Smith, Daniil Hunter, does that is is that the first domino to tip and the rest of these guys saying yeah I'm not taking a pay cut and having to truly overhaul everything at once I think at the end of the day these guys understand it's a business this is not Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell we're talking about here oh I got we got good news on that so if (sighs) Dalvin leaves Harrison Smith isn't gonna pout yeah Harrison Smith is gonna look hey I'm gonna play in the box again this year I'm Mm -hmm. gonna be near the line Mm -hmm. of scrimmage Mm -hmm. he's gonna say Good luck to Dalvin, and when I play you week eight, I'm going to be in your face. Yeah. Like, that's, I'm sorry. I don't see that being an issue at all. And if I'm a teammate of Dalvin Cooks, by the way, like one of those vets, if I'm Adam Thielen or Harrison Smith. Uh, and to this, be honest, I understand it's a business. I, like, I do, hey, too. Man, you I do. Paid, that's right. fine, but you're leaving. I was going to say. It's not going to be here. If you want to win a Super Bowl, which is what we're all trying to do, we've yeah. been together for eight years, how about you stop being an asshole? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't blame him. I wouldn't be upset at him, but. His priorities are clearly not what, no. what we as fans thought it was want them to be. Well, forever I looked at Dalvin Cook as the team player. Like, yeah, sure, he got his money, but you never heard negative plays hurt, you know, 
the shoulder injury, the knee injury, the ankle. Like he's an NFL running back. If you're going to be banged up from week one, pretty much. I every get it, season. but name another guy that's taken on the volume that he's taken on, the responsibility that he took on in that offense, dating back to the Mike Zimmer days. There's but, a lot of running backs that have done know, that. I don't know. I, 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 he, he has done his job, and that is pretty much what yeah. he's done. Has he led the NFL in rushing at all? So, I mean, he, he's been a, a good running back for us. Yeah. And running backs are like that. Time to move on. Hey, guess what? Good news is you got Ty Chandler and oh. Ken A. I mean, and Alexander I don't know Madison. if those were the two names I'd name first, but they are who they are. Yeah. Hey, guys, looks like we got Nash joining us. Oh, this is a great time then. Uh, let us know what you guys think on the uh, Minnesota Vikings as they continue their offseason march. Um, I'm sure we're going to get more news as the – uh, off season continues, uh, and we can kick on over to our twins teaser. Still pretty much. Well, I mean, we're not in winter; we're in false spring at this point. Warmed the weather up just a little bit, so pitchers and catchers could report to spring training. Uh, so we got to talk some baseball. And joining us today will be Twins Dailies and friend of the show's uh, Nash Walker. Welcome back, buddy. And how have you been, guys? So good to see you. Thank you for having me back. Been doing well. I'm ready for some baseball. Rough Vikings finish. Yeah, I was there. I don't know if you guys went, but I was there way up in the rafters, <laughs> way up there. Uh, but the the field when the Vikes were on D looked wide open. Oh yeah, looked like there was a lot of spacing to be had there. Uh, and and there's a lot of I think questions there that you guys I'm sure are going to tackle. And there's questions with the Twins too that we've been tackling. I'm excited for baseball. Can't wait to get back uh, spring training in a week. I'm pumped. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, old and slow de- definitely defined the Minnesota Vikings uh, defense last <laughs> yeah. year, and it stereotypically defines the Minnesota Twins pitching staff. Uh, so yeah. maybe that is a good place for us to start. For the first time, I think, since you know the two bobbleheads that are sitting on the table here and Johan Santana and Brad Radke, it looks like the Twins have a rotation. Tell me a little bit about the expectations for Sonny Gray, Tyler Mahe. Like, for the first time ever, we may not have a bunch of – we may not have a one. But we don't have a bunch of sixes in the rotation either. I think you guys are going to feel good if the rotation's healthy. That's a big if every year. But I think you guys are going to feel good every single day looking at the probables as Twins fans and just saying, hey, I think we got a chance today. Yeah. And, and that's, that's not something to hang your hat on. You would love to have a number one starter. And I was hoping they would go out and do that. But Pablo Lopez is the best pitcher who has traded this offseason. Uh, so the, really they weren't moved. Those frontline starters weren't moved very much. And Pablo Lopez, there was a big price for him and Luis Arise. So they don't have the number one, as you said, Nick, but I think overall it is a deeper rotation. You're not going to see Dylan Bundy. You're not going to see Chris Archer. You're not going to see guys you would not like to see, I think, unless the, the injury bug hits again. But even beyond the five, you have Louis Varland. You have Simeon Wizardson, top prospects coming. You have Josh Winder, who I'm a little lower on this year, I think. But he can fill some innings for them as like their eighth guy, right? Yeah. And Kent coming back. So they have more depth than they've had in a really long time. And I think I said with you guys last year, they failed to get another frontline starter last year. And the injuries with Paddock and Sonny Gray had hamstring problems. And Joe Ryan was gone for a month with COVID. When those things happened, Dylan Bundy was their second best starter. Yeah. And that, that's just, I don't think it's going to happen this summer. I don't think that's going to happen. And for that, I'm grateful. I think it is one of the deeper rotations they've had in a while. I'm glad you mentioned Radke because I think the year was 2004. The Twins had four starters with or 2005 i believe with a, an era that was at league average or better and through at least 100 innings 
And this year, going into the season, they have four starters who did that in 2022 and Mally, Lopez, Gray, and Ryan. So if it's all on paper at this point, but I think you can feel much better about the depth of the rotation, even though they still do lack that number one, as you mentioned. 110%. Before Mike gets to his question, I do just have a caveat. With some of that depth and the way that the Twins have operated the front office up to this point, which realistically has surprised me, the ability to retain Correa, regardless mm-hmm. of what the circus looked like, getting him in the first place, the trade for Gio Urshela and Gary Sanchez last year, like all of the moves that were made with this depth, if there is an ace on a like a team that is not really a contender, does this mean the Twins might be able to go get a young, true number one at some point during the season? Is that something you're hearing as still a targeted piece? I'm disappointed, Nick, because I think this offseason, I was hoping Woodruff or Burns would be available yeah. in Milwaukee. And I was I was almost expecting one of them to be moved. And I thought the Twins made so much sense for either of them. Burns is one of the best starters in baseball. Yeah. Brandon Woodruff would be their best starter since right. Johan legitimately. Yeah. Uh, obviously 98 to 100 just complete gas so I was hoping one of those two would be available if Milwaukee has a rough first half and I don't think they're going to re-sign Corbin Burns he might be the best starter we've seen traded in years and years and years and I'm not saying the Twins have the prospect capital like the Dodgers have or the Cardinals have or other teams have but I'm glad you brought that up because they do have rotation depth I was wondering this offseason and this was actually floated not specifically but rumors that, hey, they might trade Sonny Gray. They might trade Tyler Malley. They might trade uh, Kenta Maeda. They might trade one of these guys who's going to be a free agent. I could see a scenario where they package one of their starters because they have depth. And I think Louis Barlin's going to play a big role on this team. And I think he should be in the rotation where they have the depth where they can trade a starter and package them with a top prospect to get to that value or multiple top prospects to get to that value. That's where they're at. They need to have a really nice first half. And if they do, then yes, absolutely, they should be in the market uh, for a frontline starter. Like I said, if if more starters were traded this offseason, if Woodruff had been traded, if Burns had been traded, if Lopez, if Zach Gallon had been traded, I would have been disappointed and thought, why aren't the Twins doing that? They did get Pablo, but why aren't the Twins doing that? They haven't been traded yet, and I would not say that it's a certainty they will, but as we get closer to the trade deadline midseason, if those guys do start to move, you absolutely have to watch the Twins if, if they are in a position again to win. Because as you said, look at the moves they've made. Yeah. I mean, they've made they've been the most active team post lockout. And that's they've been switching things up. They haven't been afraid to shake up the core, trading Donaldson, trading Garber, trading Taylor Rogers, trading Luis Arise, trading Jose Barrios at the deadline in 2021. They haven't been afraid to do that. So I wouldn't put it past them to package up something huge, especially with Correa here now and him pushing. He's saying, we need an ace. We need an ace. I, I could see them absolutely packaging something up and going out and getting one of the best starters in, in baseball if they do become available. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I'm hoping. So, Nash, I'm a, I'm a little bit of an old head when it comes to sports, right? So, baseball specifically, uh, small ball. Uh, I believe in, you know, stealing, bunting. I also believe in righty-lefty. So, mm-hmm. personally, looking at these pitchers, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Pablo Lopez, righty. Joe Ryan, mm-hmm. righty. Sonny Gray, righty. Baylor Ober, Bailey Ober, righty, Tyler Male, righty, Kenta, Kenta Maeda, righty, Chris Paddock, righty. You find mm-hmm. that concerning at all? I mean, we're not only trying to get back to the playoffs, but you look at a playoff series and you put all righties on the bump, that's trouble. 
It's a good question, especially because they don't really have any lefties in the system. They drafted Connor Prelip last year, and he's like a high upside, potentially number one guy, but he's coming back from Tommy John, and he fell to the second round because of that. He was a first-round talent, but he fell to the second round. He's like their only lefty in the system at this point because they traded Steve Hajar at the deadline, and they traded Kay Povich at the deadline last year, and those were their two best left-handed starting pitching prospects. I think in recent years, like when I've done my show in 2019 and 2020, I, I do believe, and maybe it's not because of this specifically, but I do think that that's been a philosophy with the White Sox specifically. If you look at the White Sox lineup is so right-handed, and at the time, Cleveland was pretty right-handed as well. Francisco Lindor is a switch hitter, and Jose Ramirez is a switch hitter, but it was very right-handed White Sox lineup, right-handed Kansas City lineup, right-handed Detroit lineup in those years and i thought okay it's okay to load up on right-handed starting pitchers but you're seeing more of a balance i think the white Sox signed benintendi i think they're trying to get more left-handed cleveland signed josh bell they have jose ramirez josh naylor looks very good so it's it's becoming more balanced but something that's interesting about the twins i'm glad you mentioned that is these right-handed starters sonny gray not Pablo Lopez as much, but Tyler Malley, Chris Paddock, these guys they've acquired, they have reverse splits, meaning that they're actually better against left-handed hitters than they are against right-handed hitters. So their problem has been at times getting right on right, getting those outs. But I agree with you in 2021, when the season was awful, and I think I came on, they won 73 games. I came on with you guys and just was speechless. <laughs> Lefties destroyed the twins, left-handed yeah. hitters destroyed the twins that year. Uh, I remember Parker Hagman tweeted they had like an 880 OPS at some point in the season, just ridiculous. So I agree with you. Like it's nice to have a lefty, but not just any lefty. Jay Happ was not that guy. Yeah. <laughs> like not nice to have a soft tossing lefty just because he's a lefty. If you're gonna get a lefty, I thought Carlos Rodon was an amazing fit for them. Uh just to add that that different look and because he's an ace. But if yeah, I, I think that's true. I think there's there's validity to that where you see the same handedness every single day and very similar repertoires like Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, Tyler Malley, Joe Ryan. They're all like 90, 94 in that range. A lot of four seam fastballs up. It's very similar. So in a series, you might be you might be a little concerned about that. I think it's something they might look at or they should look at rather like in the offseason or at the deadline when they're making these deals for starters. But I'm, I'm against just getting any lefty to get a lefty because we saw it with Hap. But I like James Paxton that year. Uh, he ended up signing with, I think he went back to Seattle. But I agree with you. Perfect. Um, and then switching from pitching kind of over to hitting, um, got two players, you know, with health issues. On, on out in the field, one of which is Royce Lewis. Tell me a little bit about what you're hearing around him. I know he's been on baseball tonight and stuff lately, talking about his recovery. Um, how far along is he, and what is the plan for him? You know, this year, I know the Twins have come out and kind of said that Miranda is going to be the third baseman. I don't know how that works, especially since we don't really have a first baseman at this point. Um, tell me a little bit about what you're hearing around uh, Royce Lewis and his return. Well, when they traded a rise, I think it was a, a signal that they want Alex Kirloff to be the everyday first baseman. And I would argue and have argued like it's that's a troublesome path. I yeah. think I love Alex Kirloff. I'm really I'm a believer in his talent, but he hasn't been healthy. And there's no <clears throat> indication that this surgery is going to fix everything for him. So I worry about him being the everyday first baseman. I love Kirloff. I mean, if he's healthy, I think he's going to be great. 
but I just I don't I don't trust that he will be. And I think that's that's was a concern for me. Like they're gonna put too many eggs in the Kirilov basket. And then it's almost the flip side by re-signing Carlos Correa, you're not putting as many eggs in the Royce Lewis basket because you're not expecting him to just become your everyday shortstop in the middle of the season. I think for him, the expectation is still midsummer, like maybe right before the deadline, right or right before the all-star break, maybe right after the all-star break. I think he's gonna bounce around. He's he's athletic enough where I think he can play third. You mentioned. I think he can play left. I think he plays center. I think he plays second. He can back up Correa short. He's going to bounce around and play a bunch of different places. If you look at projection systems, like Zips loves Royce Lewis in an 83-game sample for 2023. If he comes back healthy, he's the guy we know he can be athletically, and his swing changes translate again in 2023. I think he's absolutely going to, going to be a huge factor for the Twins in the second half. But it just sucks. You wish you could have him right out of the gate. And, and you also wonder... Would that have changed how they approached the Carlos Correa situation if they knew they had Royce Lewis on opening day? But he's going to I think he'll be back midsummer um, if things go well. And if that's the case, they'll find spots for him if he's if he's ready to go. And I think he's going to start potentially start in St. Paul, like rehab assignment there, get ramped up and then he'll come back, I think, uh, in July or, or yeah, right around the all-star break, I think is the, the hope and the expectation. Perfect. All right. Now tell me about Byron Buxton. I think I, I will give him some credit. Was close to his 100-game goal. I don't agree with the 100-game goal as an overall. Me and Mike both didn't. But it was a shortened offseason last year due to the lockout, which I think led to a lot of player injuries. With Carlos Correa already being... already making excuses? Listen, with Carlos Correa being back in the clubhouse, those two being so good, and Carlos Correa has actually done a really good job post-surgery on that ankle and with his back injury, making sure that he's done things in the offseason to keep himself healthy and readily available for the ball clubs that he's played for uh, in the years post these injuries. Is there anything that Byron Buxton is doing differently that you've heard about this year or uh, that we should expect to see, obviously, with the signing of uh, the guy, uh, Kansas City, the Kansas City outfielder that we got? I'm assuming we're going to see more of him in the DH role to begin with, but how's he taking care of himself? Are we still on the 100-game bullshit path that we were on last year? I think that uh, that 100-game thing, I don't think that's how they wanted that to come across. I think they were just trying to say, like, we just want him to play 100 because he hasn't played 100 since 2017. So let's get him to 100, right? But it sounded like, I agree, it sounded like, let's just try to get him in 100 games total. Mm -hmm. But I I don't think that was ever the goal because he was at 92 in August or whatever. I I don't think the goal to play it, like, we're going to get to 100, then we're going to have a fast stop. I think it was, let's try to get to 100. Let's just, let's get there first. That's like our first benchmark because he hasn't been anywhere close to that since 2017. I think for him, you guys have watched him run into the wall. You've watched him get hurt in the outfield. But what's interesting is most of his injuries recently have come on the bases or are not in the outfield. I think he has made changes in center field where he's starting further back or he's not going for that ball jumping against the wall where he's tried to change things defensively. I don't know what you can do on the bases. Like he's going to play hard. He's going to run hard and he often gets hurt doing that. So what do you, I mean, you don't tell him to not play hard. You don't tell him to not run hard on the bases. I think in center, some of it is avoidable. Absolutely. We saw what Torrey Hunter used to do and and he thought he could get to everything and he could when he was in his prime and Byron's the same way and he can get to everything, but getting to everything sometimes will end your season. And it did in Miami in 2019 when the Twins really needed him. It ended his season when he ran into the wall and, and screwed up his shoulder and had to get surgery. I, I think going into this year, you wonder about the knee because the knee was just a constant problem last year. I think you're right. Bringing in Michael A. Taylor, I think Byron's going to DH a decent amount. 
I've gotten questions like, should he just be the primary DH to keep him out of center field? And I get that, but I go back to his injuries recently haven't come in center yeah. field. And there's wear and tear on your legs when you play center and then you're on the bases and you're trying to steal. Like there's wear and tear on a day-to-day basis. But I think he has made changes out there. And you just got to let him play, I think. You just let him play and you hope for the best. I mean, there's not much you can do. I, people are always trying to come up with these these solutions for him. Like, oh, let's just DH him. Let's all pinch run for him or whatever. Let's get him off the bases. It's usually it, he finds a way. Like, he's going to somehow he's going to get hurt, whether he runs into the wall, whether he pulls something on the bases, whether it's his knee. Something usually happens no matter what you try to do because that's the player he is. He plays hard and yes, he's gotten hurt a lot. So I don't think there's really any solution other, in my opinion, than to just go let him play. Just let him play, hope for the best. And yes, DH some days, but he's most valuable when he's in center field because he's the best defensive center fielder in the world. So you want him out there as much as possible. But I would let him play, uh, you know, within reason and just you cross your fingers. That's my that's my opinion on it. I mean, I I, I just don't think there's a solution today that you can do with him to try to keep him healthier. I think they've tried everything. Yeah, I mean, and there have been some rumors this offseason even that that knee is like Sam Bradford level arthritic at this point. So, like, I, I there is definitely cause for concern. Mike, you got another one for him? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, so you guys touched on the void possibly at first base with Kirilov's wrist, you know, two straight season-ending injuries on the wrist. Can't really rely on that. Um, mm-hmm. The rumor no. going around right now, and I know where I stand on this, question but just gonna pose it uh should the twins look into signing luke voigt i did a, a whole show on voigt and yuli guriel because they're both free agents and yeah. i think voigt i don't, I don't know voigt voigt's just interesting because you would love to have a platoon partner with kirilov somebody who can hit left-handed pitching luke voigt in his career is much better against righties and he last year he hit like 170 against lefties as a right-handed hitter which is really weird so i'm i'm like not a hip on Voigt in that way because i just don't think he's a natural partner at first base with kirilov guriel's interesting to me he's probably cooked but he's interesting to me because of the correa connection the vasquez in the postseason experience he hit lefties okay last year where you feel okay like hitting him seventh or eighth against lefties uh, you know, on a week to week basis. And then Kirilov plays against righties or he's bouncing around. So I like, I like Guriel better than Voigt, although Voigt is younger, has more power upside. You know, he has more of a chance to hit 30 home runs in a season, I think. But I would probably lean toward uh, Guriel over Voigt, in my opinion. But it's close. I mean, you're talking about one guys. So it's close. Perfect. Perfect. Time for two more. We got, we got time for two more with you. In classic Vikings fashion. Perfect. Um, so obviously we're headed into spring. There's going to be a lot of the twins prospect pool that is down there, whether they're playing, you know, regular spring training games or they're participating in the cactus league, they're going to be readily, readily available for us to actually put eyes on. Who are you looking at? Triple a double a that might get a call that could surprise some people this year, you know, a la Miranda mania, which me and you were spot on about two years ago. Yeah, I think uh, I'm even more in on the mania this year. I think he's going to take another step forward. I think uh, he learned a lot last year. He looks amazing this offseason. Yeah. I think he uh, he's going to have a special year for the Twins. And if he's average at third base, I think you could be talking about a four to six win player, which would be yeah. amazing for the Twins. As far as prospects, you saw Joan Duran just come out of nowhere in some ways last year and make the opening day bullpen and just was one of the best relievers in baseball. You saw Josh Winder make the opening day rotation or bullpen he's kind of like swing starter i think this year ed julian you've seen his name a lot 
but he is absolutely going to play a role for the Twins. And as soon as they traded Luis Suarez, yes, it was about Kirilov. I think it's also about Ed Julian, who absolutely destroyed right-handed pitching at AA last year. He's a left-handed hitter, draws walks, hits for average, hit like 330 against righties last year, wow. hits power. He's not like just average on base. He hits for power, big-time power, came from Auburn, drew like 100-something walks at, at the A-levels a couple of years ago. So he's... He's a guy to watch. Certainly. I think he's going to play a role. I think he's going to play a big role for the twins, like a Miranda type of role in 2023. And then on the pitching side, I think Varland people just sleep that Louis Varland had basically the exact same debut as Joe Ryan had in 2021, five starts, very similar numbers, but everybody's so excited about Joe Ryan, rightly. Yeah. So but not as many people are excited about Louis Varland. I don't sense. I think Louis Varland could have a Joe Ryan type of rookie season, which is a mid three ZRA you know, mid-rotation to back the rotation starter, which is valuable. I don't think he's going to be a frontline number one guy for the Twins. Gotcha. But if they if they keep pumping out, you know, Varlins, Ryans, yeah. over, and, and then they just need to hit on one, one like ace-level starter we haven't had in, in forever, it's going to look like a decent rotation. And I think Varlin specifically, because of the injury question marks, yeah. he's, going to pitch, he's going to pitch a lot. I think if you give him an opportunity, I think he's going to pitch well. So he's somebody to watch. Julian Brooksley, obviously, yes. I think is going to play for the Twins this year. Really? Is, Already, huh? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I've heard that as well. Like, it's been wow. that he might uh, he might play for the Twins this year. But he, I think he's going to start at double A. He's a switch hitter, you know, probably a third baseman. I don't think he's a shortstop, probably third, maybe second. Uh, I think he's going to play for the Twins. So in the second half, I think a, a big part of the ceiling, or even the first half, just the whole year, a big part of their ceiling is – what do you get from Kirilov, Miranda, Larnick, the young group, and Brooks Lee, Royce Lewis when he comes back, the Louis Varland, Simeon Richardson? What do you get from these young guys? It's not just important for this year, but it's important for what are we building? What's the direction, right? What's the direction of the Twins? Because you don't want them to be in this purgatory where we've seen 80 to 84 wins on a yearly basis because they have the talent. They have top top shelf talent in Duran and Correa and Buxton and Miranda, and they have talent, but they don't have enough to like get over that hump. So I would watch those guys as like guys who could help you get over that hump in 2023 and then establish themselves for the future. I think Connor Prelip, I saw you guys. Oh, there it is. I got yeah. my, my he's just somebody to watch in the minors this year because his stuff before surgery was was so electric and he was potentially a top 10 pick in the 2022 draft and he fell to the second round. So keep an eye on him as a fast riser. They, their prospect pool is very volatile right now, yeah. which is hey because they might turn out to be great, but there's the volatility and the variance and a lot of their prospects is really vast right now. And that's, it, it puts yourself in a, in a tough spot and you yeah. really need your former top prospects, Kirloff, Larnick, Lewis, you need them to contribute as soon as this year or else you could be in a position where you're just not pumping out that talent. And if you don't pump out talent with a mid-level payroll, you, you're going to be stuck in that purgatory. Hey. I would keep it up on those guys. I'm excited about those guys. Uh, and spring training, I think this is the most interesting spring training the Twins have had in so long because of the injuries like Kirloff. And what is learning? We haven't seen these guys in like yeah. a year. Yeah. We haven't seen them in a year. So I just want to see what everybody looks like. And then we can start to uh, to think about what the, what the team looks like on opening day. Absolutely. Oh, right. Sorry, ahead, I just wanted to ask really quick. Have you heard anything about it's uh, the Mercedes guy? Like Yasser, Mer is it Yasser Mercedes? Or yeah, something? Yasser. he's like supposed to be yeah. our yeah, like the the far off one who's supposed to be good possibly. 
Well, they had uh, they hit it looks like massively on Emmanuel Rodriguez, who is now like into top fifties. I've seen, I think, we're just outside of top fifties on on global prospect lists yeah. as a nineteen year old. They hit it looks like massively on him as a an international prospect. You never know; he's one of those volatility prospects. He, he destroyed low A. He might be great. He might never make it to the majors like a lot of young prospects. But Yasser Mercedes. He is potentially the next Erod, where he crushed the Dominican Summer League. You see some prospect lists like Aaron Gleeman, super high on Yasser Mercedes, and a lot of that he's talking to to the team. He's talking and asking, you know, who's the guy you guys were impressed with, and also his own evaluations. But he was super high on Mercedes. Like Twins Daily, I think we're, we're super high on Mercedes as well. He looks like, yes, I agree. Somebody you should watch this year as an Emmanuel Rodriguez type of explosion i think erod's going to be a top 10 prospect in baseball by the end of the year he's yeah. their i think he's their highest upside prospect they've had i mean royce lewis was too but emmanuel rodriguez is the highest international prospects in terms of upside they've had in a long time maybe since the you know sano polanco kepler days of international prospects so i'm really excited about him uh, i'm excited about mercedes i think they've done a decent job internationally recently and you never know. I mean, these dudes crush the summer league. They'll they'll hit there and then, and then they'll get to low A and they strike out 200 times. Like you never know how it's going to go. But I think the talent is there internationally. And, and that's part of why it's so volatile. This system, Mercedes, Cunha, Rodriguez, all these. Yeah, Cunha, Jr. Yeah. So you, you don't know about these guys uh, really, but you're excited about the talent. I think there's a reason to be excited about all of them. Yeah. And a lot of them, it feels like, and you're right. Volatility to me just means a lot of them are just living on name value. You know, you think of even Balazovic, um, you know, the pitchers that you're talking about, Austin Martin and other guys that are in the system to where, you know what? Hey, a little bit of success makes us a strong farm system. Yep. Anything outside of that this year leaves us incredibly depleted. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I think you're hoping, I mean, Austin Martin, when he came over, was a, a global top 50 prospect. And if not top 20 prospect, he was the number five pick in, in 2020. You were hoping like, oh, he's going to be a superstar level player. My expectations have come down. But if Austin Martin develops as a utility guy who's a you know two and a half, three win player, teams need those guys. Yeah. You need those guys on winning teams. It's not always about the, the Correas and the Buxtons and the Jordan Alvarez's of the world. Like You need guys who fill in, guys who bounce around, who provide depth. And that's what the twins have tried to do this off season with Cal Farmer and Michael A. Taylor. And they're hoping Larnick is part of that depth too. They're trying to build one through 40, not one through 10 on the roster. Because I think last year was a lot of one through 10. They had top level, top level talent. They had guys who can put up five, six, seven win seasons, but they lacked that depth last year. And I think they're really trying to, to hone into that, not only on the major league roster, but trying to find that in the system as well. Perfect. Last one, Mikey. Well, I got to say, I, I just think your opinion of baseball and Louis Varland is just chef. <laughs> Mike rides for Louis Varland like me and you rode for uh, Jose Miranda. So we're going to have to come up with like a title for, for Varland. Just yeah. shows Nash's absolute baseball IQ. Loose uh, I'm just going to throw it off. A little speculative question to end it. Uh, who leads the team in home runs and who leads the team in wins as a pitcher? Ooh. Home runs. I think I mean, like, yeah, I was thinking maybe I'd give you like an under the radar type of pick. I mean, the thing is, like, Buxton hit 28 in 92 games. So yeah. if, he, if he played 92 games and hit 28 homers, like this might lead the team. But I would say 
Correa is not like your prototypical home run hitter, but all of his batted ball data last year was just excellent. Like some of the best of his career playing at target field. I know the Crawford boxes and at mid and are also, they tend to right-handed hitters, but I think Correa uh, is a decent bet to hit 30. I think Buxton's always a decent bet to hit 30, hit 28 last year. Uh, I did under the radar pick potentially is Joey Gallo. <laughs> I think Joey Gallo, even in, even in a down year, no. Joey Gallo, can hit 40 right so he has the biggest like raw power on the team uh but i could see it being anybody and i think you mentioned uh like the small ball aspect they they definitely i think they by trading a rise yeah. they are more power it's more of a power laden lineup i think than we saw last year last year it really wasn't like Gio Rochelle is contact oriented. Obviously, Luis Arise is contact oriented. Even Carlos Correa doesn't really strike out very much and hits for a high average. They have a contact oriented team, or at least did last year. This team's probably not as much uh, in this lineup. So I think you could see, you know, three, four guys potentially hitting 15 to 20 homers. I think Joey Gallo could hit 35, 40 homers wow. in, a, in, a, in a down year. I mean, he's done it. He's hit 40 homers twice. And I believe I could be wrong. I think 40 yeah, it was in twice. high school the last time it happened. Come on now. Oh, he could, he could do that. Uh, I guess that's not a, a straight answer for you, but I, I'll take, I'll take Correa to hit 35 and, and set what would be a career high. If Correa hits 35 and we win a playoff game. He's an MVP. Well, yeah, I think, well, think about the chip he has and and the type of guy he is and everybody's talking about him and his health and making fun of him. And I think he's going to have a chip to to say these two teams made a mistake. Yeah. And I hope that's the case because as twins fans, it'll be fun to see. And he just becomes that guy for the next six to 10 years, that would be special. Yeah, would love that. All right, pitching. Who leads the oh, team and wins? Wins is, uh, I, I have trouble with wins because Pablo Lopez was 10 and 10 last year, but Miami has the one of the worst offenses in baseball and he would pitch extremely well and take a loss. So I wore, I, I think he's going to get better run support in Minnesota. Uh, wins. Joe had 13 it's, it's last year. Hard, right? it, it's easier for me to say, uh, somebody's going to lead the team in, in ERA or somebody's going to lead the team in starts or somebody's going to lead the Let's team. Let's go in... ERA then. Let's go that's, ERA. That's okay. fair. ERA leader, I think, is going to be Tyler Malley because I think Tyler Malley coming out of Cincinnati was such a it was such a big thing to get out of that ballpark. You looked at all of his ballpark-adjusted metrics and he was well above average as a pitcher, but you looked at his ERA and I'm getting tweets like, this dude has a 450 ERA. It's because he plays at Great American Ballpark. When I need to hit homers in the show, guys, like for my team, I play at Great American Ballpark. He's a fly, <laughs> ball. He's a fly ball pitcher and pitching there is just a disaster for anybody who's a fly ball pitcher. As a right-handed pitcher at Target Field, Against left-handed hitters at Target Field with the big overhang, I feel much, much better about Tyler Malley. And unfortunately, he got hurt last year. If he's healthy, I think he's going to lead the team in ERA and maybe lead the team in wins. I think uh, that acquisition is still – it slept on because he didn't really pitch. He didn't really yeah. pitch for the Twins, and he got hurt. But he's back, hopefully uh, ready to go in spring training, and I think he's the guy this year who's going to emerge as, as their best pitcher. Absolutely, man. That's a bit of a dark horse pick. I, yeah, I uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially – but. It's, it's good to think that that guy who we brought in at the end of last year to be our ace is a dark horse pick to lead the team in ERA this right. year. That yeah. means we have depth. Woohoo, the Twins did it. You know what I mean? So, uh, as always, man, absolutely fantastic to have you with us. I'm sure we're going to be checking in with you plenty throughout the, sure. uh, the baseball season. I know you still got that California kid glow going on over there. Um, yeah. So, 
We'll, we'll be sure to check in with you. And we'll uh, obviously me and Mike will be out covering the Saints this year. We're going to try to get out to plenty of Twins games. Maybe we'll link and do some content together. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you to continue to just absorb the wealth of baseball knowledge that you have available for them? Yeah, thank you guys. So in two weeks, I'm moving to Reno. Uh, so I will no longer be doing the show, but I will. I think I'll still be right. We have a contract because I'm doing the uh, the Aces I'm a content creator and I'll be on their broadcast team. They're the triple A for the D backs. Nice. So we have, we have a contract with Bally and um, they, I, I can't do the the daily show anymore, okay. but I don't know. I don't know about writing. I don't know about video, but um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Nash Walker nine. You can follow the show at lockdown twins for the next host for the next host, whoever it might be. It might be Nick or Mike. We don't know who knows, but it's a daily show. Uh, and you can check that out wherever you get your podcasts. I'm doing it until March 1st. And then I'm moving there and um, and somebody else will take over. So I've got a lot of interest in it. Some great candidates. Somebody's going to take it over. Somebody who's who's talented and and knows the twins. So check that out. Yeah, you can follow me as well. All right, brother. Appreciate it. it hey, be safe on the move. We look to we look forward okay. to hearing, you know, maybe the next time we speak to you or seeing the setup uh, a little bit. Yeah. And if you, yeah. you know, if you ever want to jump on, you got some breaking news, you get some things, you know, even out of the D-backs organization that you want to send <laughs> up our way. Um, feel free to ring in at any time. The door is always open for you. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. Take care, boss. As always, just one of the great baseball minds. I, you know what? I'd take him over Gleeman some days. Just yeah. glass half full kind of guy. I mean, the Louis Varlin take, I got to say. Just <laughs> Mike's like, hey, if watch. you want to toot my horn for me. Uh, yeah. So let us know what you guys think about the current status of the Minnesota Twins. Uh, let us know if you think that they need to make any moves. Yeah, Sounds absolutely. Good. Absolutely. Sounds like there might be some in the cards. Yeah. Uh, so with that, let's go Minnesota Wild. We got to finish up Minnesota Sports Roundup. We're a little behind. Now we can do the Wild real quick. There's really nothing. I mean, the NHL dead trade deadline is right around the corner. There's not a whole lot going on. The team is, in my opinion, is 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 what treading water at this point. Yeah, I don't. The think loss to the Coyotes important. on Monday hurt. Yes, quite a bit. Uh-huh. Uh, come back, to lose to the Stars yesterday. Mm-hmm. Got the Golden Knights tonight. Yep. That's always a tough matchup. It's it. Uh, <laughs> hey, Win some it, games, boys. D- Dylan warned us when he was on this show for the while that always seems to be the mid to late January skid that they fall into. They get that little bit of a bye week. The trade deadline's coming up. It seems to me like for the wild, the attention just goes elsewhere other than inside the clubhouse, right? I think your status of or your uh, statement of treading water is dead on. They're five and five in their last ten. Lost two of their last two games. Uh, just you. You got to turn it around. You got to figure out a way to wake up, kind of. That's yeah. kind of where the wild are. Yeah, it's moments like this where you look at it. You look at a guy like Kirill Kaprizov and go, "Hey, can you stop the bleeding, please?" Like, I know it doesn't. It's not a it, hockey is a team sport. There's multiple lines. But like that to be an all star like that, guy. that's it's it's scoring three goals to make sure you beat the Coyotes. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. That's who that guy needs to be. I mean, that's who Ovechkin was. Yeah. That's who Kane was. It's, that's it's who Sidney Crosby. You can just say, here's the puck, dude. Go win the game. And yep. he's just not in that top three yet. That's why he's like a top 10. That next level is tough to get it's, to. And he's like right there. Yep. He's like right there. So not a whole lot on the wild. Uh, but we got plenty on the Wolves, Mikey. Yeah. Uh, they did it. Uh, yeah. I'm so excited. They traded D'Angelo Russell. We can start right there. The headache has left the building. They sent him back to the Los Angeles Lakers who drafted him. And guess what? Now he's LeBron James problem because that's what he is. A goddamn problem. Uh, and in return, we get Mike Conley and Russell Westbrook goes to U- Utah. Utah. Uh, yeah. All right. 
<laughs> um, but I think as far as the first of all, grade the trade for this year, C plus to B minus for the future. B plus. B plus. Yeah. I think Mike Conley's a much better fit. He actually had time on task with Rudy Gobert in Utah, I believe, at one point, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Yep. Um, so there is a little bit of a connection there. I think this continues to shift the mold into this is Ant's team. Everybody else is playing a role around this guy. Mike Conley's good doing that. But on any given night, if you need him to, he can get you 20 and 10. He can get you 20 and 7. 20 points and 7 assists. Yeah, I mean, he's averaging like 11 and 7 so far this year. Like you said, he has experience working with Gobert. Mm-hmm. He's he's a distributor. He runs the yeah. offense, right? Uh, so bringing in someone who's just, their role is to be a plug-and-play guy versus a D'Angelo Russell who could shoot 20 times a night, could shoot four times a night. You re- never really know if they're going down. You never know if he's there passing the ball. Bringing in Mike Conley is just going to be a consummate professional. He's 35 years old. He's been doing it forever. Yep. He'll get you 10 and 8, and that's it. We also got Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I like that. Who's really young and up and coming. I think he's averaging 7 points a game so far this year, but he's like 22. Yep. So it's youth. It's building around Ant, like you said. And then we also, I believe, got two second-round picks the next two years. So it's it's a it's a moving forward trade yeah which is interesting because it's it goes in the face of the rudy gobert trade which was a moving now trade yeah but i think with the injury to cat and seeing what the team was around just ant this was an interesting thing and nobody has talked about it but there's a little bit of a tie to outside other pieces of the nba here Kyrie irving went to dallas we're going to talk about that here in a minute brooklyn nets and the trade deadline doesn't stop until 8 p.m tonight for the nba Kevin Durant is actively looking for teams to get moved to outside of Brooklyn because he understands that they are no longer a contender. Okay, well, go ahead and name a a, a Midwestern team that was in the bidding for Kevin Durant earlier this year. It was the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, the asking price was much higher when... Wait a second. Wait a second. Did this happen last night? Is this... What are we looking at? We're getting potentially breaking news here. The Brooklyn Nets traded the second of their two all-stars in a blockbuster move Wednesday night. The Phoenix Suns acquired Kevin Durant for Jay Crowder, Michael Bridges, Cam Johnson, four unprotected first-round draft picks in 23, 25, 27, and 29, and a 28 swap. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, scrap, the, scrap the Wolves' plans. I have no idea. I, I think it is because I it's saw real. it. Just it's real. It's real. Way. Yeah. Devin Booker and, and Kevin Cam, Durant. Yeah. And Chris Paul. Wow. Okay. Cool. Uh, pencil the the, the uh, Suns in for Western Conference Finals. Uh, at this point, they will they will be there, um, and we can uh, you know uh, move off the Kevin Durant idea uh, for the Wolves. Inter- it's just it's it's going to be interesting though because I do think at some point D'Lo leaving does begin to tip dominoes for us moving on from Carl Anthony Towns. Oh, Jay Crowder is now headed to the Bucks. Jesus, the NBA is a absolute wildfire at the deadline. Um, but yeah, um, so with those two picks, you know, you could package them together. Are you shopping cat until 8 PM tonight? I am. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the, uh, the overall consensus for most of us. Um, the team has been just like the wild lately treading water. They are getting through what they need to get through. They won against both the the nuggets and the jazz, uh, and then took law, a bad loss to, uh, the nuggets on a back to back. And then before that, I took a loss to the Magic as well, which isn't great, but they've got games coming up against the Grizzlies and the Mavericks. Um, those are two games that I think you can win. 
Uh, the Grizzlies, as good as they have been, have been a little shaky, uh, and the and the Mavericks are going to uh, continue to try to find uh, some type of consistency with Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic uh, moving forward. They don't have a whole lot of defense. Should be plenty of room for Carl or for uh, Ant to work, um, and they're just can. This is not the year we thought the Wolves were going to have. So the the sights, the field goal post needs to be moved from Western Conference Finals to dear God, please get into the play in. Uh, I still think fifth seed is within reach. You'd yeah. have to be playing a lot better than you are right We're now. We're three games back of the three seed. I know that. Of the three but seed. But this dog. team is not that good. They can't win consistently enough to outpace the rest of the Western Conference. They just made a huge trade that's going to overhaul the look of their team. Just Maybe. We'll see. Breathe. We'll see. We Do you think the Pelicans are better? Yes. Bruh. Zion. The B. Pelicans I. are three and seven in their last ten. Think the Clippers are better? Yes. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Reggie Jackson. Suns are better. I don't know if the Mavericks. <laughs> the are. Suns are definitely better well, now. The Suns are at the five. Mavericks, I really top heavy. Honestly. Super top heavy. And they just traded away all their defense. Don't know what to do. The with Kings that. are decent. The Grizzlies are two and eight in their last ten, and they're sitting at the two seed. I know there's a lot of room to move. There's a lot of room to move. But those teams, when healthy and operating well, are ten times better than the Wolves are currently. The Grizzlies are pretty healthy. It's since John Morant said that he's fine in the West. They're like six and ten against Western Conference teams. Yeah, you shouldn't have poked the bear, bud. No, absolutely not. All absolutely right. not. All right, well, we got to wrap up and keep moving. Let's go. Uh, Super Bowl storylines. Yeah. So there's. Uh, I just wanted to go through what we might think the top Super Bowl storylines are going to be for you know this weekend's game, Philadelphia versus Kansas City in Glendale, Arizona. I think one of the coolest storylines that I've heard is the fact that there's two brothers playing against each other. So the Kelsey Bowl, I got that one on there. Yep. Oh, I was going to say, and and the Kelseys are playing against each other. Uh, The fact that there's two African-American quarterbacks starting for each team, I think, is monumental. Absolutely. It's very cool to see. Yep. Uh, Good luck to both Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes. And then, obviously, the Kelsey brothers are are also playing against each other. Yep. So I I had my top five. And, Gabe, if you want to run the music, we can get to them uh, whenever you are ready. I'm I'm incredibly excited for the Super Bowl while Gabe preps that. Do you have a score prediction? 27-24, Chiefs. Um, If it's that close. If it's that close. It's going to be either the Eagles hang around or they're going to get – absolutely road graded by the chiefs here their offensive line like their pass block win rate even against a team like the eagles they are far and away the best pass blocking team in the league patrick mahomes only going to be healthier his weapons are only going to be healthier i don't know who on the eagles defense um you know takes care of travis kelsey who i think is going to have a massive game um and you know a lot of the metrics that we saw coming off of uh uh, Jalen Hurts pre and post injury injury. I was looking at it on the Colin Cowherd show earlier this week. He is not nearly as effective a quarterback. And I think that showed even that at Niners game in the Niners game, a lot of his short stuff was low. He didn't seem like he was getting it there. And the two or three deep balls that he threw outside of that one to uh, Devonta Smith, who had to go up and climb the ladder to get that thing, which was an incompletion. Still, he was overthrowing wide open targets downfield. You can't do that against the chiefs. You Jalen can't. Hurts is Justin Fields in an Eagles uniform dog. That's weird. But yeah, you're not wrong. But seriously, think about it. You're not wrong. So you're not wrong. All right. So um, I'll start. You know, the first easy. I had five of them. The first one's going to be the Kelsey Bowl. Really cool to see two brothers play against each other. Those kind of lead into the is the NFL scripted thing. They just so happened to start a podcast this year. One of them is considering retiring, and then you know they wind up in the Super Bowl together. Little weird, but uh, that would be storyline number five. Which one of them do you think will have a bigger impact on the game? Travis. Travis Kelsey, absolutely. Unless 
Jason Kelsey finds a way to shut down Chris Jones, nope. which would be a story of a lifetime, but I think he's pretty much going to be on skates yep. all game long. Um, the fourth storyline that I have is a rumor that's been going around a little bit. Is this Andy Reid's last game as the head coach of any team in general, not just the Kansas City Chiefs? You look at it. He's been to three Super Bowls now. If he wins this one, he'll have won two of them. He's in his mid-60s, and his last game will have been beating the team that pretty much ushered him out the door in Philadelphia. And Eric Bieniemy seems to be ready to take the reins as the offensive play caller, and they've got their defensive guy in-house. Is this like a Bruce Arians last salvo kind of thing? Bruce Arians left because Tom Brady was done. Sure. Done. You... You have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes yeah. in house. I don't. I don't think you leave yet. Yeah. I mean, you could get two more. You could if you stay for two, three more years. So I don't think he's done. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Storyline number three. This game is going to likely make or or make the case or continue the case of is Patrick Mahomes more Brady or Peyton? A loss in this game with five AFC Championship appearances and multiple Super Bowl losses. Makes him more Manning. He wins this one, and you look at the point in his career that he's at versus Brady, and he's more Brady. Is this really a make-or-break type of Super Bowl for Patrick Mahomes? It, it definitely speaks to his legacy, right? Absolutely. Um, I think it's almost a must-win. If you want to avoid that label, I would agree with you. I would 110% agree with you on that one. So uh, that's the third best. The second one is going to be uh, Jalen Hurts' contract. This guy was a late-round pick like Dak Prescott. Not necessarily making a ton of money, and you can see that by how the Eagles are able to put guys around him. Now, how do the Dallas Cowboys look now that they've paid Dak that money? Not great. And he's going to get paid more than Dak because Dak doesn't have the playoff wins that Jalen Hurts has on his resume. Does a win in the Super Bowl actually set the Eagles backwards? I think signing Jalen Hurts to a long-term contract is what sets you backwards. I would he agree. He is Justin Fields in an Eagles uniform. And you've already, like, that that shoulder injury a tor- late in the season, that's what keeps, I mean, that's, I mean, if they didn't have Nick Foles in-house, there's no Super Bowl in Philly around that time. You know, when, when Carson Wentz was there, and it was kind of similar. You're trusting a guy to go out, sacrifice his body, and get you a couple of ball games, but. And I think it's going to have a massive impact on Lamar contract, uh, Lamar's contract negotiations as well. Um, Because if you win, if he wins a Super Bowl, you have to resign him this year. I know he's an unrestricted free agent in 2024, but you want to get out ahead of it to hopefully get a little bit of a hometown discount, I would think. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just really don't think he's worth it. I don't either. <laughs> but I mean, it is a storyline, right? Uh, and then the last storyline, or, or not necessarily the, the last one that I at least wanted to go over was going to be regardless of the outcome, Andy Reid has the greatest coaching tree of all time. Because Nick Sirianni, guess where he got his start? Where? In Kansas City. With Andy Reid on the offensive side of the football. He wasn't retained. He went and took jobs elsewhere. But guess what? The coach that gives you your break is the coach that uh, is the coaching tree that you will be under. Either way, does does Andy Reid have the greatest NFL coaching tree in NFL history? It's up there. I mean, you're it's talking close. about Bill Walsh's, though, which it's close. is freaking nuts. Um, Parcells as well. Parcells, which has Belichick, which is a great tree in its own right. Right. So Parcells is probably the one. Uh, yeah, could, Parcells probably the one. I honest. mean, Andy Reid is part of the Parcells tree, isn't it? 
In Green Bay? Nope. No. Holmgren. There you go. That's what I'm thinking of. Right? Yeah. Yeah. All Which right. is also a really good tree. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. But it's so, pretty close. Andy yeah. Reid has got a lot of guys out there that are well-rounded coaches that stay for long periods of time. Yeah. So, so I actually looked it up. Hmm? Per game from for their entire career, Hertz is averaging 23 more yards passing, mm-hmm. but he's also sacked two and a half times less. Ooh. Other than that, they're pretty close. 0.9 touchdowns oh, for Justin, and, Fields, yeah, Justin Fields. 1.0 for Jalen Hurts per game. Rushing yards is pretty close. I mean, it's all, it's, it's interesting how close it is, actually. Absolutely. And I'm excited for the game. I know you guys are too. Let us know in the comment section below who you think is going to win and what your score predictions are. I'm riding with the Chiefs in uh, not a close game. I think this is going to be a 10 plus point victory for the Chiefs in Philadelphia, is left, left uh, kind of scratching their asses on the bus ride home. So, hope so, hope so. Uh, Sean Payton, initial interview. Let's do it. Um, introduce- I did not see this. So he pretty much had his first moment with the press the other day and was immediately asked about some of what happened in Denver last year, okay. right, with Russell Wilson. Uh, specifically, guys inside the building that don't actually work for the Broncos. And he said, yeah, I don't know anything about that, but we'll have our guys in the building pretty much saying, hey, Team 3, pack your shit, get out of your offices, no more multiple parking spaces, everybody's here to work. Do you like that as an initial statement publicly to the media with a somewhat of a diva quarterback who did not perform up to par last year. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's him saying I'm the new sheriff. Uh, is what it yeah. Is, right? So it's like walking up to the school bully on the first day and just laying down the law. Yeah. That's what it is. He knows that Russ, in theory, ran that organization last year, and he's coming in and saying nope. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this was, a, I think this was actually planned as well. For, for Sean Payton, I think he's had his eyes on Denver for a minute. If you go back to the middle of the season where Russell was struggling and Sean Payton was showing up on Colin Cowherd's show every Tuesday or whatever, one of the things that he talked about was exactly how he would fix Russell Wilson. Taking cut-ups from you know, uh, his days back in Seattle, using that as the base for the offense, and then building you know how he knows how to build offense off of that. Multiple looks, but making sure we're doing the things that Russell does best, running the football screen get you know just different different things to make him a tad bit more effective a lot of confidence in sean payton and uh, i don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this because i know we got to continue but there's now a rumor floating out there that uh, the defensive uh, the potential defensive coordinator for that denver team is going to be none other than the former minnesota vikings head coach mike zimmer really yep huh so very interesting there very very interesting uh, that's pretty much all i got on the broncos anything else you want to touch on nope Perfect. Let's get to the NBA trade deadline. And we're just, I mean, there's a few things I wanted, or NBA news in general, a few things I wanted to touch on. Uh, The Kyrie trade starts it. I know, obviously, the Kevin Durant trade is huge as well. I think that's a foregone conclusion. Well, whatever the price is, you pay it to get a guy like Kevin Durant to play alongside Devin Booker and Chris Paul and DeAndre. That's a, that is a, if they don't make it to the finals, it's a fail, right? Oh, 100%. On that move. But KD they're in position. Again. Yep. Abs- I mean, that's what he wants to do. That's what he yeah. wants to do. Yep. That's what he's doing. Um, but uh, let's talk about the Kyrie trade. Do you think it was the right move for the Mavs? <laughs> I don't know what to think. Both of those guys, Kyrie and Luca, could get you 50 points. As any given dumb night. as it sounds, I think Kyrie needed a smaller market. 
True. When he excelled, he was in Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, it's going to be interesting. This is a, this is a decent team in the West, but like to be completely honest with you, and I'm not trying to like look through my blue shaded glasses or whatever. This is a team I could see the Wolves eliminating in the playoffs. Potentially. Potentially, yeah. Mike Conley like, placed dingy defense. I just Kyrie don't down. think that they're they're very, 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 very top heavy at this point. Super. And they traded away all of and their defense. Let's not forget Kyrie Irving like doesn't show up to games yeah. sometimes. Well, I don't know if so the one thing that worries me is not only how they're gonna play defense, this team is gonna score the ball at will now. With Jason Kidd as the head coach, Kyrie, Luka Doncic, some of the guys that they have. How the but how are they gonna get along in the lock, locker room? Luka Doncic has been playing with grown men and running locker rooms since he was 16 years old. You think he's going to walk into a locker room where Kyrie Irving is burning incense and having his own like press tour with the media and be okay with that? I don't think so. It's going to be interesting for sure, for sure to watch because Luka's a character. Absolutely. 100%. And, uh... and right now he's on pace to win league MVP. You yeah. think he's going to let Kyrie come in and step on that? No. They just kind of threw a wrench in their offense, didn't they? Really it's, it's, strange, uh, strange trade. It gets them into the playoffs. Yeah, they they make the playoffs, but they're probably a four or five seed. And I don't know if they make it out of the first round. Well, that's the whole. If they're the four and we're the five, I'll take us. Yeah, I I really will. Yeah. I'll so it's interesting. Do we want to talk more about the Durant trade? No, not really. I mean, we all know what the it's Suns are the Western to. Conference favorite. Favorite. Yeah, 100% absolutely. At this point, and now to be quite honest with you. Morant's like, I got the West. Oh, no. Oh, shit. No, no, oh, no, no, oh, no. no. I mean, because every and Morant come over. Yeah. Um, and then you, if you look at the East, I don't know who matches the Suns in a series well enough Celtics. in the East. Really? Because every time that Jason Tatum has squared off. Look at with, what the Celtics used to do to the Nets, though. Dude. I know, but it's, a, it's, a, it's different because the Suns play team basketball. The so Nets the played hero ball. So do the Celtics, though. So I think that's why that's the matchup. Potentially. Potentially. I um, think that is our, our... Do you see anybody else in the East? Maybe the Sixers. Uh, Joel Embiid. Maybe the Bucks. Yeah, I could see the Bucks. I could see the Bucks. But once again, Kevin Durant, even without Kyrie Irving, took Milwaukee to seven games. Yeah. Now you got to worry about Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Chris. Like, So the Nets were at the five seed. Yeah. Where did they go? To the bottom. You think so? Oh, yeah. They got a lot of... To the bottom. They might squeak in. To the bottom. I'd say seven seed. I think that they realized that the drama inside, like, the culture needed to change. Listen, they let those two guys bring in Steve Nash as the head coach. It didn't work. They let them run their own schedules. It didn't work. They let them decide their own contracts. It didn't work. They let those guys run the locker room with all the veterans. It didn't work. And I think they finally just went, you know what? One piece at a time, we're going to have to reset this thing, and it's going to be painful. All right. Well, uh, in other NBA news, we have a new all-time scoring leader in LeBron James. He surpasses Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Thoughts on this? Congratulations to LeBron. I'm gonna, everybody pay attention to the words on having the greatest career. This does not make him the greatest player of all time. I'm sorry. Kareem hit one three-pointer. Yeah. What he got. Yep. And LeBron... As a six foot nine, two hundred and sixty pound gazelle, played in an era where you couldn't hand check. Played in an era where there was they shortened 
The amount of time that big men could spend in uh, stand in the paint, added three point line, and just played for a really long time. Sure, as a passer, is it impressive on its own that he got here? Absolutely. I'm not going to take anything from him. I even moved him up to fourth on my greatest, like my my Mount Rushmore. Right, I had him at like six or seven originally. He now firmly sits at the four spot with me because he does own a couple of rings and the all-time scoring title. But we talk about floors and ceilings on this show all the time. Shaq's ceiling, Kobe's ceiling, LeBron's ceiling, Kareem's ceiling. All much higher than what you could have got out of LeBron. LeBron's floor is also just much higher than what you got out of those guys at any point in their career, right? You knew at the end of Shaq's career, you weren't getting much. The end of Kobe's career, he's banged up. The end of Jordan's career, he wasn't playing on a good team. LeBron was never going to have the downturn, but he's never he never had the peaks of what any of the four guys, in my opinion, in front of him had, and that's the difference. Yeah. Um. So, congratulations to LeBron. Yep. You think about this? <laughs> we are not LeBron fans on this show. So he hits the shot with about a minute left, right? Yep. They lost the basketball game. Oh, yeah. To the Thunder, dog. Yeah. Like the worst team in the league. With multiple guys over 30 points. You lost the basketball game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's... I, oh, you... And if... It, for, it's for, like Brady setting the passing touchdown record and then losing to, like, the Jets when they were, like, 1-15. Uh-huh. Like it's, you, it, it, to me, it does spoil it a little bit. It does. And the other thing that spoils it for me is the fact that the only... People in attendance were not even Laker greats. They're just former Lakers. Kareem was there because it was his. Yeah. Magic's there because he did you see his face? Magic's there because he's close to the team. Witzke didn't show up. Yeah. Michael didn't show up. Right. Like all these, all these legends did not show. So Shaq they, was a Laker and he didn't take time off TNT to be on the floor when LeBron, when LeBron got the record. For all of you out there that say, oh, the players respect LeBron as the greatest of all time. If that was true, every great available, everybody on the top 75 list, all of LeBron's former teammates would have showed up in LA for that moment, and nobody did. So here's my second funniest thing about this, right? So he hits the shot on Tuesday the 7th. Yep. Have you seen the picture of him hitting the shot yet? So Thomas Bryant is down low, Wide calling open. for the ball. Wide Huge open, yeah. mismatch, right? Guess who asked for a trade yesterday and is now traded by the Los Angeles oh, yeah. Lakers? Oh yeah. The guy who was asking for the ball wide open when LeBron hits the shot. Absolutely. Matt, he is a he is a selfish he is he he lives in his own atmosphere, man. And it's the one thing that has always held LeBron back in all of the greatest of all time conversations. I know they say as a distributor, he's so talented and he makes other people better. But he makes other people better here's, almost in a selfish I mean, way. Here's the thing about LeBron. Is he probably one of the most talented basketball players of all time? Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. He's six foot nine. He's 260 to 270 damn. pounds. And he's also one of the fastest and most, most athletic guys on the floor. Yeah. However, <laughs> LeBron has enough talent to legitimately will his teams the 50 to 60 wins every single year. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't. Well, I, he has the ability to what he does is he puts up 40 and 10 and says, I did my job. Well, and Instead he also 30, 
15 and 12 boards and like he could do so much more with what he was given by God. My point exactly with the whole ceiling yeah. thing, right? Like Jordan has 10 scoring titles. Right. Kobe has multiple scoring titles. I think Shaq's got a scoring title. LeBron has one. Right. He's played for 20 years. LeBron has one scoring title. And a losing record in the NBA Finals. Not the greatest player of all time. No. Sorry. No. But he could have been. Could have been. Could have been. So that's kind of what we have on the LeBron news. We have about 15 minutes left, Nick. I did a good enough job for you. We have some fight news to cap it off. Let's do it, Gabe. Are you ready? I am now. I had to turn off the speaker. Back <laughs> Let's go. Yes. All right. So uh, fight news. Let's get into a uh, little bit of boxing news right away. This isn't super important, but it is a fight that we have been tracking because we on this show have been trying to will the media to get this fight booked for about a year and a half now. Uh, Gervonta Davis versus Ryan Garcia. He came on the show pretty much last week or was it two weeks ago and said, hey, it's been booked. We're going to get it sometime in 2023. But now all of a sudden, conversations have stalled because one of the two fighters, Gervonta <clears throat> Davis, doesn't have the nuts to sign a rematch clause for this fight. I'm so, uh, this is ridiculous to me. That it's like, okay, like, in boxing in general, especially two guys of this caliber, you're not just going to get one fight. There's got to be two. Because then if you go 50-50, you get a third. And off that trilogy alone, both of you can retire off pay-per-view numbers. You both could. They both could. But now it's just this its this thing where, oh, you know what? Somebody doesn't want to have to step in for a second time and risk getting their face pushed in. So... Gervonta doesn't want the right to a rematch if Ryan wins. Is that the problem? Uh, clause dispute. Gervonta. I know. That's what I've been trying to make sense of this, too. And I'm also looking if there's multiple outlets doing this because yeah. these freaking promoters love to try to negotiate. They play the media that, game. Yeah. They play the media game. And yep. that's what I'm not. I'm I'm interested to know what that is. So I'm doing a little bit of looking here, too. But because this appears that... Uh, Due to a rematch clause dispute, Gervonta will have the right to a rematch if Ryan wins. Um, whatever. PBC, Showtime, and DAZN are arguing over who would be lead promoter network for the rematch. So it's the fucking promoters. It's actually not even the fighter. It's uh, the fucking promoters. But the same, everything that I said still stands. Why? What, does it matter? Well, does it matter? Give one to this? one and give one to the other and then... Whoever had the bigger pay-per-view buy between the original fight in the paper and, and the rematch gets the trilogy fight if it goes one and one. I think it's usually the winner's stable gets to promote it, right? Yeah, so it's like if because Garcia they're fighter wins, one. That's his, yeah, exactly. So I don't know why this is, yeah, it feels like something where they're sliding out the back door. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. There's that. so much pressure on this fight to happen it, now. It I mean, needs I, to happen. Yeah. It needs to because this to me is... It, this this fight not happening to me would just be a rerun of Pacquiao Mayweather. You have to you have to get it while these guys are young, because if you wait, this too is why long, boxing has fallen. A hundred percent. This is why it but, takes five years for the two biggest boxers to fight each other. Like who cares enough to wait that long? This has killed the sport. You're right. And guess what? I, I hate to do this, but with the Francis negotiations. This is this has a lot to do with it. I know we all dog Dana, but Dana shows up every week on Tuesday, goes to the board and goes, these two guys need to fight, either because of the rankings or because the public wants to see it. We're doing it. No other questions asked. And then he goes home and slaps his wife in the face. But he does do well on the fight part. 
They call it I, practice. He wants to be a I, I think there champion. could be a middle ground, though, between actually taking care of your fighters and providing them health insurance. I agree. And them making $50 million in one bout. So, 110%. Uh, yeah, I mean, I even want to see this fight happen, and I'm, I'm the common man. So, And I've got here, look at this uh, quote that is kind of disappointing for me to see, actually. So let's see if this... I got an article coming up right here. And this is from Ryan Garcia. Ooh. No rematch clause, winner takes all coward, which is bullshit. That sounds to me like he's, why would he not want a rematch clause? The fucking money is insane. To me, that feels like posture. So the rematch clause to me in boxing has always been because there is a, like, there's a committee that dictates who you fight next. A lot of times with these, there's a little bit of legal stuff. I don't think Ryan Garcia is running for Javante Davis. He's been calling for, he has been I the know. one that has been leading calling has. for this fight forever. But I think he also knows that if he beats Javante Davis without that rematch clause, it gives him access to all of the titles in that division without having to fight him first. See, here's the thing too. They Let's not forget, they, they can do a rematch without a rematch clause. Yeah. But I think that's what Ryan would, that's and why if, Ryan would Gervonta say Javante Davis isn't scared. He would take the fight. Yes. Again, this has ruined the sport. Yep. I think that's a simplistic take on it. I, I, I don't think, I think there's something going on that's really odd here behind it. I don't know why they wouldn't want a rematch. Uh, you know, either fighter. Be, well, because the winner is likely going to go on to challenge for the unified titles of this division. And but if if no, you don't have a rematch clause, if you no Ryan Garcia, no, Ryan Garcia is a title fighter. If he beats Gervonta Davis, he takes the title, which I believe Gervonta Davis has one of the four in that division, or five or however many boxing has. That's the other thing that's ruined this sport. Then he gets to go out and see, like, all right, Devin Haney, Teofimo Lopez, the rest of the belts, and start collecting for that division without having to risk losing to that guy in a rematch. And then what's going to happen after that is everybody's going to want to see the trilogy, and then Ryan Garcia will have spent, or Gervonta Davis, will have spent the next two and a half years fighting one guy and missing out on title opportunities. Hmm. There's a little suspicion here that Al Heyman might be trying to uh, torpedo this. No. Interesting. Wow, this is so weird. God, I hate boxing in certain ways. Man. Oh, yeah. God. Yep. Crazy. Yep. So, right. John Jones and Sugar Sean's contract extensions. I was surprised. Not so much for Sugar Sean. I think this takes care of him and puts him in position to be the face of that division, title fight or not, moving forward. Um, he gets a little bit of pay-per-view buy, eight-fight extension. You know who I didn't think was going to get a long extension or a long fight deal? Who signed one anyways? John Jones. Eight fights. Eight heavyweight fights for John Jones. Much longer than I would have expected uh, because I don't, think there's eight fights out there for him right now at heavyweight do you uh no no even and, if and francis take, comes what two three years yeah even he's if already he... 37 38 so he's gonna be fighting at 40 yes all right um and it's just it's it's weird to me because even if i think about it i go okay surreal gone he gets uh St um stipe probably at some point francis if he returns maybe he gets Eric Lewis or Ty Tuivasa at some point. I bet but Dominic Reyes comes up to fight him. I bet four or five. Dominic Reyes might come up to fight him. You might get a couple of those guys twice. Yep. All right. So now you're already at like eight. 
I suppose that's just UFC's way to lock him up long term. You right. know, just to kind of they'll come up the with guys to fight gone. him. I'm sure. I actually wouldn't be surprised if this was the Francis deal, and they just said, "Hey, Francis didn't want to take it. We have this money allocated. John, do you want it?" and gave it to him. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me at all. I definitely think that this was a you know what I'd really like to know back room wise, and I've been digging a little bit. Uh, last night and yeah. today, but I'm, I'm not finding it. But I'd like to know if Jones's people approached UFC, if they saw this as an opportunity where they go, man, because if he fled, which is what I thought, I thought he had two fights or something left. And I thought he was going to do these and then go fight in Ganu for $40 million each, you know, uh-huh. on their own promotion. And it's like, to me, it's why not? Why would you not do that? The logistics that would have to go in it. John Jones is just a fighter. You got to remember, he's not a businessman. He's but not out so in the streets. Like, I, I get that, but he's boxing promoters would step in like and, nothing. But here's the thing: John Jones is also kind of like uh, radioactive. He's a wild man. Do you want to put your money on building a new promotion off the backs of a guy who has missed drug tests, who has crashed vehicles? Bob who has... would do that in a second, man. Boxers, those are you're describing boxers. Yeah, but boxing, most... but boxing, I don't think John Jones has ever showed any interest in being a boxer. John no, Jones no, no, is no. a I know mixed that. martial artist. But I'm saying, no, I know. Is that Sugar Sean? I'm saying that a pro boxing, like Bob Arum, would still promote an MMA event. It's just different sanctioning. You know, they could mm. do, he's got all the stuff in place. And I'm saying that all those big promoters, they deal with volatile maniacs all the time. Sure. You but know, Dana so. has said it. Go ahead, try he goes, I'm not stopping anybody. You want to get a couple, you want to get a fight card together? You want to, you want to do this? He goes, go ahead. He knows he's the only one that can do it the way that he's doing it. The only one that in can pay the fight. Yeah. I mean, in a league, but I, we're, like I'm saying a one-off fight. You don't think just John Jones versus think- Ngannou would, would draw? The investment alone would scare a lot of promoters. What's the difference between that and Fury versus Usk or, you know, Fury versus AJ? boxing it's sanctioned by like the four di- it's it's got the backing of the four different promoters it's you know it's oh like i said no matter what stars are are in pride or you know uh one or whatever or eagle fc none of those events get the run or the pub or the pay-per-view buy or the media coverage that ufc gets because ufc owns the market because they've got it running like a well-oiled machine sure I mean, I'm not disagreeing with that. I, I'm just still puzzled why why you think it'd be so crazy to to put on that fight, but but it's fine. Yeah. Um, John Jones' arms are just uh, fucking Massive. insane, by the way. I didn't even know that was him the first time you the, sent this picture. The fact he's fucking walking, as a guy that fought at 180, uh, 170 pounds at one point, or no, 185 pounds, that he's walking around at 255 right now, that's a big man. I think that it's it's interesting to me that he's all about Stipe. Yeah, for some reason I don't know why that's it. Well, he wants to fight the slugger. Me, yeah, he reminds me of a uh, Kimbo Slice <laughs> with those arms. He looks like Kimbo Slice to me. Yeah, yeah, perfect. All right, uh, anything else uh, on uh, John Jones and uh, Disco Stew? I think John Jones is going to beat the shit out of Gone. Yes, and or maybe not beat the shit out of him, but I think he's going to beat him. Yes, handily. Oh yeah. And then Stipe, same thing. I think Stipe just, I think old, I think white people get older than black people faster. That's why they say black don't crack. Yep. That's why I say it. All right. Uh, UFC 284 pound for pound? Uh, one of the potentially greatest fights in UFC history. I want to get Gabe's opinion on this before I even open my mouth. 
on Alexander Volk Volkanovsky versus, versus Islam so, Makhachev. I want to see this fight. I think it's awesome. Yep. I don't think it's a top, top, top fight. Like, yes, it is. Of course it is. But I'm saying, like, all time. Mm-hmm. I don't see it in that level yet. I think that, I mean, I listen, if someone could beat Makachev, it is Volk. Yeah. He's well-rounded like that. But, man, that, that size difference is bigger than I thought. And I'm not a giant size dude. Yeah, you are. You don't like watching fighters under 145. Well, that is very true. But I don't like, um, I'm saying, like, I believe smaller guys can beat up bigger guys. Like, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that it's, um, you know, I'm a huge James Tony fan. That guy went from uh, 145 to heavyweight. So right. it's like, you know, guys do it, and I like it. I just don't know. I don't think he can out-wrestle him. I don't think he's big enough to hurt him with his hands. Really? Okay. I don't think, you know. I mean, of course, I don't know. But but I to me, he's a gas tank guy. Yeah. And I don't see Makachev getting out gassed. True. Makachev has also never been in a long fight. True. One thing that we knew about Khabib is Khabib will go with you for five rounds. Yeah. We have no idea what Makachev looks like in rounds four and five. We just don't. Yeah. And Alexander Volkanovsky, his last 10 fights have been there pretty much. Right? Like, other than outside of his stoppage of the Korean zombie, he's gone the distance with Max Holloway, another great gas tank guy, three times. Like, that's... That in and of itself is impressive from a striking standpoint. And you also got to remember size wise and like as far as how sturdy is he going to be against a much bigger opponent and Islam, I'm sure, is going to try to lay on him. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky played rugby at 220 pounds at that height and was pretty successful. So I'm not I'm not worried necessarily as nearly as much about, you know, what you see in some of these highlights where Islam is laying on people and waiting for them to fold. Because I think Alexander, with that gas tank, and his experience being heavier in his base, is probably the most well-suited guy to deal with him and keep him off of being on top of him all fight long, which is where these Dagestani fighters win all their fights. It's from the ground and pound and submission attempts. They're not putting guys out on there. They're not putting skilled strikers out on their feet. Do you think that... So, do you know Volk's wrestling pedigree? Like, I mean, you know, actually what his background is? No. That's what I'm trying to look that up. And because, you know, I would love to see a true, like, um, you know, like a Triple C type guy wrestle a Dagestani guy, right? Like a, you know, or a Cormier versus, you know. We've never seen, a like, a head-to-head great wrestler Versus one of these Dagestani guys. And yeah. I'm so curious how that will match up. And I don't think Volk is that level. Um, I just think his power is not going to travel, man. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, I think that's going to be tough. And I don't like Makachev. I actually want I him to lose. I do too. So, it, but it's interesting. It's a legacy fight for both guys. It puts both guys in a different realm. Yes. With a win, right? Because Islam takes the pound for pound and beats a let like Alexander Volkanovsky is a legend. If there was a UFC hall of fame, he's going in it 10 straight fights, uh, cleaned out his division pound for pound. Uh, wasn't necessary. Didn't necessarily have a fighting background either. This guy came, like I said, this guy came over from rugby and has laid it on some absolute, some other legends. Now, Alexander Volkanovsky, if he goes up and stops Khabib's, you know, 2.0 pretty much and take and and 
gets champ champ status, and his intention is to pretty much then go all Amanda Nunez and defend both belts in both divisions, and we're going to see Josh Emmett fight at 145, which would probably be uh, the next fight up. That puts him way up there as well. And so it, it's definitely an interesting fight for me. If, if, if Alexander Volkanovsky can find a way to keep this on the feet, I think him getting the rub and being in camp with Israel Adesanya, the footwork, the handwork, you see it in some of these highlights, the unique striking stuff is going to cause Islam problems. I think if it goes to the ground where Islam spends most of the time on top, it goes Islam's way. So it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a battle and it's going to be a technique versus technique styles make fights. And this actually for two guys who are very different does make a good fight. It, it's, it's so interesting just because Makachev is pretty one dimensional, really. He's yeah. going to throw some bombs and then he's going to do his, you know, wrestling kind of shit. Well, right? he, yeah. He walks in behind his hands, right? He's throwing, yep. he's throwing at you as he's walking in, hoping to land something. And then if he, if he clips you and you freeze, He's taking you to. He's taking you to the mat. Right. That's the that's the game plan. And then Volk is about imposing his will. Right. Is yes. about like just I'm gonna out gas tank you and be in your face and I can you know strike I can wrestle I can all that. Yeah. I just I don't know I don't know I just think he's too small. They have weight classes for a reason. True. And I know that people upend it, but boy, this is I see why Volk took this fight though, man. He can yeah. graduate into. Oh yeah. Actually, this is what's sad. This is a, you know what I have sympathy for him because even if he wins this fight, I don't believe that he you know like uh, the UFC put out a thing that will have like Connor like plans yeah. for him, and to me he's still not even in Connor's like not even in the close. He's not that kind of draw. He doesn't well he doesn't do the media like that right, and that's one of those things that we talk about with all these fighters. You got to be a media wizard if you're you know if that's what it's going to be. But Amanda Nunez wasn't really one of those one of those fighters either. And she just benefited from, hey, I defend two belts in two classes. Leave me the fuck alone. And I think, you know, if he just stays quiet and goes about his business, he can get some of the same results. How about this? Volk loses this fight. He retires. In five years, how do we look at him versus Usman? Par. Yeah. They're like the same guy. The same guy. The same guy. Overachievers who just don't have the mouthpiece that much. Or like yeah. enough of one. Sure. And they just don't. Or, or the star quality. Yeah. Like they just don't quite have that. What yeah. a bummer, man. I know. Them. I know. <laughs> it's so unfair. I, I know. Because Connor's been doing nothing but tanking and losing, and he's still a bigger star. Well, speaking of Connor oh. McGregor, we've got big news for the 31st season of the Ultimate Fighter. Um, Connor McGregor versus Michael Chandler, pretty much bringing everything to fruition from, you know, the uh, Tony Ferguson fight. This graphic um, looks like a gay porn promo. Those, I mean, both these guys be looking meaty these days because yeah. apparently the fight is what Chandler said plans for it to happen at 170 pounds, and I think this is Dana's this is Dana's brand and brain working at its best. Um, the minute that this was released, both uh, Michael Bisping and Chael Sonnen, who are massive in the UFC community, I think I did see something. Joe Rogan had a podcast, I think, yesterday that got released, kind of saying something similar. The Ultimate Fighter is nothing more than the greatest training camp that any fighter is ever going to go through. Because one of the things that I think Connor has struggled with recently is the fact that he is a made man. Nobody really challenges him. He picks his own fight camp guys. He picks his own coaches. He trains on his own schedule. That's not going to happen at the Ultimate Fighter. He's going to be training alongside guys who have skills that he may not have had because the game did somewhat pass him by with the leg kicks and some of the 
Brazilian jiu-jitsu and the wrestling and things like that. He's going to have to train with them consistently, which should re-round out some of his game that has been lacking. He's going to have a five-month window as well where he is focused on nothing more than fighting. And that is the other thing that I think he has lacked. He has had a lot of outside ventures that has pulled his attention away from the UFC. But when Connor was all in on the fight game, Connor was an absolute war machine. This also probably means that he doesn't have to wait till October, November, December to fight because I told talking to Gabe about this yesterday. If he's in with the UFC every day for five months or however long this show is being filmed for, they can keep close enough tabs on him for him to probably get the exemption that he needs for a guy that's been outside the USADA testing pool for about a year now, healing that leg. And you're going to get the best version of him against a guy who admittedly in Michael Chandler, regardless of how tough his training camp is, will make Connor look good in the way that he gets himself beat the fuck up on the feet. This is the best case scenario for Connor. I was so disappointed. Like, they are like feeding Michael Chandler to him. Yes. Like they, yeah. they are trying to or oh, yeah. like engineer a victory. So, you know, to me, I view this differently, of course. Like I see this as the UFC is trying to get what they can out of Connor on his way out. Oh yeah. Right? Like let's let's milk this as long as we can. Let's he he is a TV star. And he's got three fights left. More than anything. Right. He's a TV star. Yeah. So let's give him a TV show. So that's great. Sure. And then we've seen Chandler already in the media, and I'm so disappointed to read yes. this. Yep. Like that is like we're gonna it's just gonna be two guys slugging it out trying to, you know, and it's like, dude, you're the wrestler that your advantage is wrestling. He man. is a world class wrestler and he refuses to go to the grounds with guy the ground with guys that he can beat. Yeah. Refuses. He needs to do what Gilbert Burns just did. Take some time off. I don't know how much time off he can take because he came over to the UFC late already and rediscover wrestling. Because Gilbert Burns looked like a different fighter the other weekend when he came in and was like, you know what, I'm going to wrestle you and I'm going to beat you up on the ground. He's probably going to get another title shot now at some point. Michael Chandler, if he refuses to go down, is going to wind up as Cowboy Cerrone. I said it months ago. I'm saying it now. He's amazing to watch. But his fights now, he looks like a Diaz brother by the end of these things. Just beat up. I mean, this is how he's going to look. The fight against Dustin Poirier <laughs> flattened to the front of his face. Yeah, it's like, honestly, man, and he's such a great guy, like a great personality. It just, it truly bums me out. Like, I watched his Embedded last time, and yeah. it's like with his kids and his wife, and it's like, bro, like, you know, go get your your money, I guess. But, wow. I mean, and luckily, though, Connor is power doesn't travel up that weight class anyway so you know what and it's an, it's interesting that you say that i'm not sure that i would i would co-sign that because as a guy who when connor used to go up to 170 it's because he was going up to 170 from a guy who was consistently probably walking around at 170 connor weighs almost 190 pounds currently his cut to 170 once he's fully training and he's back his power might just travel it because it's a different frame for him now. Like you saw it with Izzy when Izzy as a hundred guy who fights at 185 pounds goes to 205. Yeah. The, the power doesn't travel, but if Izzy took some time off and became a true to 105 pounder, I think we'd have a different conversation. Well, I'd say no, because it's not about that. Those people that it's about the power traveling with them. It's that it impacts people who are heavier. It doesn't feel the same. 
Well, you know good what news. I mean? Good news is Michael Chandler is truly a hundred and fifty-five pound fighter. That's no, that's true. This is such a fucking setup for Connor. Like they, they're doing everything they can to try to give him a notable win. Well, and I think, and they've already said this, which is very interesting. And now we're like fantasy booking. If mm-hmm. Connor wins, a title fight is probably what comes next. Whether it's Kamara Usman who's going to want the bag after beating Leon Edwards, and doesn't have, and has been very open about you know, how much his knees have left. I mean, we all realize, and I, I learned this Who's the other he? day, um, Kamar Usman. Okay, really? So, I, right? I haven't heard that. So, well, he's been super open about it. He doesn't know how much longer his body has. You realize that man walks downstairs backwards because he can't pick his feet up? No. I That's no how bad his knees are. So I think if Connor wins at 170 and Usman gets the belt back from Leon, that's the fight you make. And at 155, if Islam wins, or even if Volkanovski wins, Connor's the right fight at 155. I think a Connor victory gives him his last chance at a title fight. And if he wins that one, the final fight on his deal will be a defense that he likely loses. Yeah, I mean, they're. And then he rides off into the sunset as a guy who's won multiple titles. I think he should cut weight and go fight Sugar Shane. Hmm. At 145 pounds? <laughs> Yikes. Sugar Shane can come up. He's tall. He is tall. I'm There's another guy like, who I don't think his power will, his power will likely never translate. No. He needs to stay light. Yes. For sure. 110%. And whatever, that's what he has. That Are works. you going to tune in? Because interestingly enough, the 31st season of The Ultimate Fighter is going to be broadcast live on ESPN. Is this something you will tune in to watch? Uh, hold on. This fight, Connor and no, no, no. The the uh, the ultimate uh, the ultimate fighter. The show itself. Oh, will okay, be... tough or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I probably won't watch episodes, but when the clips start coming out and people go like, if it gets nuts, then yeah. yes, I will, and I'm sure it will. Sure. Oh yeah. Connor's very good at this, right? Oh, absolutely. God, I, I hate him already because I like. Chandler. I'm so excited. We get like media Connor back. Yeah. Yeah, and and yet, like I'd like to write for Chandler if possible. Like the dude just has done nothing but lose. Yeah, and yeah. and by the way, you talk about the well-rounded camp. Yeah, I think that uh, you're making one mistake in that you're acting like Connor is open to it. What do you mean? Is open to new suggestions or like hungry? Well, he's not really gonna have a choice, right? His his so. The coach, and I, I wonder if they came out because the coaches are supposed to be announced uh, either, I think it was either today, tomorrow, or the Monday after the Super Bowl. But Kavanaugh is going to be Connor's coach. And Kavanaugh only said he's going to coach Connor again in his return if he's serious about fighting. And his. He has said that a few times. He has said, yep, yeah. you're 100% correct. And the guys that are in camp, Connor's job and those coaches' jobs are going to be to well round out those kids. So he's going to have to work on work with them on wrestling. He's going to have to work with them on their Brazilian jiu-jitsu and their clinch game and their defense. He's not really going to have a choice, and that's why I think for Dana, this was such a brilliant, brilliant choice. Hmm. Islam versus Connor, if Connor wins? Yeah. Or Islam versus, or uh, Connor versus Kamara. As much as a smash show that will be, I would... All three of Connor's next fights, regard I mean, if he wins, let's say let's with this caveat. If Connor wins this next one, all three of his next his next fights will break pay-per-view records. <laughs> this one is already on pace to do two million. 
I or just, 200 million or whatever. I just found found a quote from Big John McCarthy. It's yeah. Like a headline says, Michael Chandler's exciting style is, quote, the dumbest idea ever versus Conor McGregor. Like, yep. this really is. This feels more like WWF than it does MMA in a way to me. Like, they're, you know, I know they're not fixing it. I'm saying. Right. They're trying to set the scenario, though, so hey, as good as possible. Anyway, but, we should move on. Yeah, as well. But no moving on. That's the end of the show. That is all we've got well, for you. Move on with our lives, then. Perfect. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Well, if you are a sports fan with sports fan friends, you can always find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Spotify, YouTube, Patreon, and Twitch. Twitch. You can also find us on local cable here in the Minneapolis and St. Paul areas on MCN6 at 10 p.m. on Saturday nights. Uh, if you're not in the Twin Cities area, you can actually catch that through your Roku app through MCN6. Absolutely. Make sure you all tune in with us next week. We will be recapping UFC 284. We will be talking about the Super Bowl revol- uh, results. We're probably going to get into uh, some of the draft uh, as well moving into next week. And we will have a special guest producer next week as well so maybe the show looks a little bit different things for you guys to check in on as always we're glad to have you with us come back next thursday until next time stay safe stay warm take care damn it so close i had to have the music for the other set frankie don't make that mistake next week no frankie will be back have a good show guys it's gonna be great good luck on vacation gabe thank you first one a long time goodbye See.